The Gospel, a basic truth, is sponsored by One Jump Ahead, a nonprofit sport ministry with a focus on strengthening families on our journey together. They provide a family oriented sport with Christ centered values and a unique look into how jump rope goes hand in hand with the gospel and our daily walk with Christ. Check them out. Go to onejumpahead.org. That's onejumpahead.org. Greetings, the gospel, a basic truth. This is a podcast series where we look to find places in Scripture where we can find the gospel. In addition to John 3.16, we do this to help increase and strengthen your faith and to give you additional tools as you witness to family and friends. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul writes uh, many different uh, letters. The, the form is typically always the same. There's a beginning, there's an end. Uh, the first part, which is usually about two-thirds of the book, uh, is theology, Bible teaching. Um, the last half or last third uh, before the, the final closing is always application. So we have the, the, the theology and then the application of that later. And yet, although the form is the same, there's always different reasons for, for writing these letters. At one extreme, we have the letter to the Galatians. This is probably the first epistle that Paul wrote, and it is a scathing letter. He just, he's, he's whipping them. He is so angry with these people. Uh, so the churches that were planted uh, in um, Galatia, well, they were no longer really following doctrine. They were falling away from the gospel. The quote-unquote Judaizers came in to their church after Paul left and said, okay, you believe in Jesus, that's good, but you're not really saved, saved until you, know, you get circumcised and also eat kosher. And there were, some of them were falling for it, and he was so angry at them. He's like, who bewitched you? So he can start with a letter on one end of the spectrum, which is a scathing letter. You move up the scale a little bit, and you get the letters to the Corinthians. Now, Corinth was a extremely wealthy church, unlike most of the Roman Empire, where money was made through these great agricultural estates where slaves were hired and they grew the food, and, and uh, these mining places where, you know, slaves did all the mining. That, that's where typically people made their money. Here in Corinth, it was a, 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 a trans point between um, different waterways, and uh, so there was a lot of commerce. The, the church, uh, the people that lived there, uh, really made their money more off of business and trading. Again, it was a very wealthy church. Now, their doctrine was good, but the people in this wealthy church basically had moral problems. They, they were sexually immoral, and Paul is like, Come on, children, you should know better than this. Um, they, they would get together for their services, and charismatic chaos would break out, and people are talking over each other, and they're doing, you know, doing cartwheels down the aisle with their hair on fire. Uh, it, it, he's like, stop it. So these men who were in business, they're busy suing each other in civil court, and they're supposed to be brothers in Christ. So this is a letter which is, okay, your doctrine's good, but guys, come on, 
we we need to we need to get our aim a game going and and, and morals is a big thing here now, we can look at the letter to the romans paul knew many of the people in the roman church because he had met them elsewhere rome of course being the capital city a lot of people end up there but he doesn't know what the church problems are, and so he doesn't write about church problems in Rome. No, he uses this time, this excuse, to write his great, which I call his magnum opus, uh, where he, he sets out in just great detail uh, uh, the, the doctrine of our salvation. And so, again, different places, different reasons, uh, so the focus can be different. Now we get to the Philippians, which is at the other end of this of the spectrum of letters that he wrote. This is an I love you letter. Paul loves the church in Philippi, and they had sent him money. In fact, they sent him money many times, and he is writing a missionary thank you letter. Uh, I hope that you support missionaries as in personal missionaries, people that you know and you can pray for, not just some big organization that you can give money to. Yes, that's good, I urge you to support individual missionaries. And when you do, you know, they will write you letters, perhaps monthly, quarterly, once a year, saying thank you. Thank you for your gifts and prayers. That is the type of letter that Paul is writing here. He really, really loves these people. And so the primary purpose of uh, writing this letter is to say thank you for the gift that they had just sent him. Paul is in prison and in Rome, and they had sent one of their own, a man named Epaphroditus, to take money to Paul to help support him in prison. Prisons uh, in ancient times, you didn't necessarily get fed. You didn't get anything. You really had to support yourself. And so Paul, we know a part of the time, at least, that he was in the Roman captivity, he was allowed to rent a house there in Rome. Now, he would have been chained to Roman soldiers 24-7, but he was allowed to live outside the dungeon, if you will. And, of course, he had expenses, and so they were sending money to help him out. And he is saying thank you. And we'll talk some more about that. Uh, he also is writing the letter to report on his own circumstances. Okay, I, I, I'm in jail. Here's what's going on. You know, I, I could be sentenced to death. I don't think so. And I, I plan to get out. And um, Another reason he, he appears to write is he wants to encourage them to stand firm because there's some persecution going on. And, and he's, he's encouraging them. And then... He wants to exhort, exhort them to humility and unity. You see, there really is a problem in this church. This is one of, not only a, a love letter, but it is one of the most tactfully written letters you'll ever find. He, he is going to address a problem in the church, but he doesn't tell us what it is until the end of the letter. And then he does it very quickly. And yet, the whole letter is designed to address this problem. And so he's all through the letter. Let me read to you uh, Philippians 1, uh, 27 and 28. 
Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way of those who oppose you. And, and the fact that you're standing together will be a sign to, to the unsaved. And he, he says that over and over in different ways. He, he's wanting them to get along. Let's talk about the city of Philippi. Philippi is in Macedonia, which is today northern Greece. Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy and others, on the second missionary journey, they cross from what is now Turkey, Asia, into Europe, and they go to Macedonia. The church in the city of Philippi is actually the first church that they establish in Europe. We can read about that in in Acts. We know that one of the first people that Paul and his team meet is a woman named Lydia. She makes makes and sells purple dye. That's a pretty lucrative business. She eventually invites them to come and stay in her home. And in all likelihood, at least very early on in the church's history, the church met in her house. We have some other very uh, colorful, interesting people We've talked about the jailer there at Philippi <clears throat> when Paul and uh, Silas were imprisoned and there's a great earthquake. The doors of the prison come open, the chains come off, and Paul is able to convince everybody, don't leave. The jailer's going to take his own life. He finds out they're not leaving. He realizes it's a God moment. And then the jailer in Philippi says that the most famous question in the New Testament What must I do to be saved? So these are the people that are in this church. Philippi is what we call an imperial city. The first emperor, and I've said this before, Caesar Augustus was brilliant. He really did all the right things to establish the empire and then to keep it going. Uh, Too bad he wasn't around later, but the things that he did at the beginning is what kept it going for 500 years. Now, again, I say he's a genius. He, how do we rule uh, and, and, and keep dominance over all these conquered territories? Caesar Augustus got this brilliant idea. He built and established imperial cities in the conquered territory. So Macedonia would have been a conquered territory of of the Greeks. Uh, The Greeks would not have been real happy about the Romans being there. So Caesar Augustus builds this city uh, of Philippi. And he has all these incentives so that when the legionnaires retire, military guys retire, uh, they have incentives to go to an imperial city like Philippi. Within the Italian peninsula, uh, people are encouraged uh, to move to uh, an imperial city. They're given all kinds of benefits. One of the benefits in an imperial city is you don't have to pay a tax that everybody else in the province has to pay. So this would be the empire tax. You're, You're exempt from that. And you automatically get Roman citizenship, which conveys many rights to you. So these are people who would have been very pro emperor pro-empire. Now, 
give you an analogy here. Think of the state of Colorado. It is now blue. Yet in the middle of Colorado, we have Colorado Springs. We got all these retired military people, a lot of conservatives. So we have a city of red in a state of blue. And that's kind of how Philippi was in the area of Macedonia in that province. These people would have been proud of their citizenship. At least a couple times in the letter, Paul tells them, your citizenship is in heaven. Yeah, I, I know you're proud to be Roman citizens, but you have something to be even more proud of. You're a citizen of heaven. Four or 500 years later, the famous uh, St. Augustine, who uh, <clears throat> was a bishop in uh, northern Africa and one of the last of the uh, early church fathers, wrote a book, and it was called The City of God. Now, what had just happened is the Roman uh, capital, the city of Rome itself, was sacked, and uh, it was invaded. And so that was a shock to everybody in the Roman Empire that the capital would be taken over by barbarians and sacked. And um, So Augustine, Augustine takes this idea that Paul throws out here in, in Philippi and says to the Christians, look, our citizenship is not in the Roman Empire. Our citizenship is in heaven. So the city of God, that's where the title comes from. Paul gives essentially four examples of humility and getting along. And the first and greatest is the, in chapter 2, and it's urging us to imitate Christ's humility. The, the, this, this chapter 2, certainly the first 11 verses, is probably the most controversial part of the entire New Testament. Uh, many, many people disagree over what Paul is saying. It's, it's giving us the nature of Christ. But Paul is using it uh, really to show, to show humility and, and not insisting on your rights over someone else's. He goes on and gives three more examples. So we've got Christ, and then he gives three examples of, of people that, that we can relate to as well. He gives the example of Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young man that, he, that Paul picked up at the beginning of his second missionary journey, and then who stays with Paul until his martyrdom. And Paul says, I'm going to send a Timothy to you, and I commend him to you. There is nobody like Timothy. He has served me. In other words, he, he's been humble. He has submitted to Paul for the sake of the work in the city of Philippi. You know him. He's an example of what you should be, you know, putting others before himself. He, he's always concerned about your well-being. The next example that Paul gives is this Epaphroditus now, Epaphroditus was some kind of leader in the church. Was he the senior pastor, associate pastor, elder? Don't know. What the Philippians were commended throughout the letter is that they were always generous. After Paul and his team in the second missionary journey had established the church, they moved on down the coast, the Berea, Thessaloniki, uh, Corinth, and Athens, and down that way. Even after 
the, the team leaves Philippi, the church in Philippi would take up collections and send the money to help support Paul and the team. We know that Paul, in his third missionary journey, was collecting money from the churches, asking them to collect money, so that he could take it to the church in Jerusalem, because they were struggling. There was some, um, just some bad times going on there, and, and this was a way to, to help the church, the mother church, if you will. In all, doubt, in all likelihood, he, he'd given money then. When nobody else gave money, the church in Philippi did. Paul's first sending church was in Antioch, and that was for that first missionary journey. But now, the second and third missionary journey, his sending church, if you will, is Philippi. These are the people he loves, and and they are so generous. Uh, uh, Paul, after the third missionary journey, he goes back to Jerusalem with the money, and of course, there's a big brouhaha. He's accused of all these things he doesn't do. He's taken into captivity, and he remains in the Roman prison in Caesarea up along the coast near what's now present-day Tel Aviv for two years. And, of course, the Roman officials are looking for a bribe. Paul does not give them one. And at some point, Paul, who is a Roman citizen, appeals to the emperor. Now, that's a dangerous thing because... (laughs) You know, you're taking up the emperor's time. And if he thinks it's frivolous, he'll just say no and they kill you. Uh, but but he, he's believing the justice of the cause that the emperor will free him. And we believe historically that eventually happens. Um, but he's taken into captivity, and you can read about that in the book of Acts. Um, and then on his way, they get shipwrecked at sea and all these things. Paul is in prison for at least a couple of years in Rome. It kind of ends the book of Acts. We anticipate him getting out, but we don't know if he gets out. Meanwhile, the church in Philippi does another collection, and they send Epaphroditus with the money to go give it to Paul to help support him while he's in prison, waiting to get his audience with with Caesar. And while he's there, Epaphroditus you know, is, you know, on a short-term mission, and he's going to sit there and, and help Paul and do, do things around the house or wherever it is he's, he's being captive and encouraging him. Paul says, look, I want to commend to you Epaphroditus. He has given sacrificially to come here, and then once he gets here, he gets COVID, and he gets sick, and I think he's going to die, and they're going to put him on a ventilator. No, none of that happened, but he got sick. He got really sick. And it sure looked like he was going to die. And Paul is saying, I thank God because God spared Epaphroditus' life in order not to put more grief on me. And I'm so thankful for God for sparing his life. And Paul talks about just how selfless and humble Epaphroditus is to take care of Paul and his needs while he's in prison. Again, commending him about what they should be like. So those are the last three examples. Now let us go to chapter two, and it's really the heart of what we're going to talk about today. And I am going to read, I'm going to do a, read chapter two, verses one through 11. I will go through this in its entirety, and then I will go back slowly and unfold it. Philippians two, one through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I'm going to read the first three verses and slowly take it apart. The English words say, so if. It sounds like this conditional statement. Well, in Greek, there are four conditional statements, and without getting into all that, this particular if, so if, really is a certainty. And perhaps a better English word is since, not if there is any encouragement in being united with Christ. A better interpretation is because there is encouragement in being united with Christ. So in this first verse, he lays out this fourfold reality or benefit in being saved. And the first is you have encouragement for being united with Christ. You have comfort from his love. You have participation or fellowship in the Holy Spirit. And you have affection and sympathy among believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is the Christian reality, not if you have it, because you're saved, you do have it. All right, we've got you know, the first three dealing with Christ being united, being comforted in his love, having participation in the Holy Spirit. And the fourth is you have this surrounding group of fellow believers, affection and sympathy. Because all of that is true, he now exhorts them. And we've got some ex- exhortations here complete my joy, because all this stuff is true, complete my joy by being of the same mind. In other words, being like-minded. Complete my joy by having the same love for each other. Complete my joy by being in full accord, being one in the spirit, being one in mind, one in purpose. I I think you're seeing, I read something earlier in chapter one. He He's just beating this over and over. You, you, you've got to get along. You've got to be like-minded. Because you're in Christ, you need to do this. Now, he's already given us three, well, he will, after this section, three examples of that. But this is the, the ultimate example. He gives further exhortations. Because all these fourfold reality of being saved is true, 
Because of that, now there's more exhortations. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't be selfish. Don't insist on your own way. Don't think you're always right. Rather, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Only Christians do this. And and you know that. Nobody in humility counts others more significant than themselves. But he's exhorting us to do that. Ooh, now section or verse four. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, that's not easy to do. That that's a lifelong uh, process, isn't it? So he sets out the Christian reality, which implies these exhortations on how to live. And he's really focusing on not self-interest, on on not being conceited, but being humble and and looking after other people's interest. And then he gives the supreme example of humility, and that's Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, he says in verse 5. I want you to be like-minded. And, and, and this you can do in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about Christ Jesus. And now we're getting into the most controversial verses in all of the New Testament. The short form, the Greek word is the kenosis, the emptying. What exactly happened? Okay. Jesus Christ, and now he tells us who Christ is. Who, though he was in the very form of God, The underlying Greek word here is morphe, and it means the very nature God. Jesus was the very nature God. He was God. He was Yahweh God. But he did not count equality with a God a thing to be grasped. Some people say, well, he let go of his deity. No. Said differently, Jesus is the very nature God, but he didn't, he didn't believe that he had to hold on to it. And in particular, we're talking about the prerogatives of deity. He, he let go of the things that were due him. He didn't let go of his nature. He let go of his privileges. It's not that he couldn't hold on to him. He, he just like, I voluntarily will not take the privileges of deity. He did not hesitate to set aside his self-willed use of deity when he became a man. Christ always had the right of deity when he became a man. Yet during the incarnation, he surrendered his right to manifest himself visibly as the God of all splendor and glory. I'm going to come back with an analogy, try to put this together, so stay with me. All right, verse 7 now. But Christ emptied himself, and the Greek word is kenosis. He divested himself of his self-interest. He took on the form morphe, 
He took on the very nature of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, notice, Jesus never gave up the morphe of God. He set aside the prerequisites, his self-interest, in voluntarily not exercising those things. But he was always was and always is and always will be the very nature God. But in the incarnation, he took on the morphe of man, a servant. Quite interesting, the next clause says, being born in the likeness of men. Christ is similar but different than we are. Yes, he's genuinely human, but he's different in that he was sinless. He's like us. He is in the very essence of us. At the same time, he's in the very essence God. But he is different from us in that he was sinless. Verse 8. And being found in human form, again, the very nature, morphe of a human, a person. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So here we have no better example of humiliation, of a selfless attitude. He demonstrated that for us so that we should follow after him in this humiliation and selfless attitude, giving up our rights compared to to someone else and looking after their interest. Verse 9, Therefore God was highly exalt, has highly exalted him. Resurrection, ascension, and glorification. And God the Father bestowed on God the Son the name that is above every other name, above every name. That's what we call glorification. So at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow, where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is, Jesus Christ is Yahweh God, to the glory of God the Father. It's not just humans, you and I, that are going to bow. It's not just unsaved people who will bow someday. But all of the heavenly beings will bow before Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you an analogy. Now, I will tell you, no analogy is perfect, and this one breaks down, and I'll show you where. But I think this analogy will help us. I want to refer you to Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. And I can't remember which of the series. It was not the first three. Uh, But we meet the mother and the father of Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. Now, we, we meet them in a couple of places, but the story is really laid out in The Phantom Menace. Turns out the queen of the planet Naboo is a woman whose the queen's name is Padme Madilla. I'm just going to call her Padme. Now, her character is played by Natalie Portman, and this was Natalie Portman's big breakout. Okay? She got to be pretty famous. Uh, this, the costumes they wore were just incredible there at the palace in Naboo. By the way, as I was researching this, those 
costumes that they were all wearing in the palace are actually copied after the, 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 what they wore in the royal palace in Mongolia, believe it or not. So, little thing. And Padme is this, this beautiful young woman, and she's queen, and there's all this stuff going on, and there's apparently uh, some thought that somebody wants to assassinate her. And so the Jedi Knights send two Jedi Knights to go to talk with the queen and talk about what's going on. And of course, you've got the Empire and all the evil stuff. And um, so they go and they meet the queen of Naboo, this Padme. What's an interesting about this place is her bodyguard are all young women who by and large look like her. They are all trained in, in all of the uh, you know, military tactics. I mean, they, they are as good a fighter as anybody. But they kind of look like her, and that's intentionally so. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, I think you're going to see where this is going here pretty quick. So they get there, and they, the two Jedi Knights, and they're talking to the queen. She doesn't say too much. She listens. And they get done talking. She says, okay, you know, here's the, they, they tell her what the plan is. And she says, okay. And she sends them on some kind of mission. But she says, you have to take my handmaiden, one of my servants, bodyguard, Sabe. You have to take her with you. She will be my eyes and ears. And don't worry. She's just as so good a warrior as you guys. And so off the three of them go. Now, as you're watching the movie, it becomes pretty apparent that Sabe's part keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But again, she's a handmaiden. She's one of the servants of the queen. And of course, um, at some point in the movie, it's revealed this is not Sabe. This is the queen herself. She took off all of her royal robes and she put on the clothes of a servant a serving handmaiden, who's really a hired assassin, um, and she pretends to be the handmaiden. Now, the entire time when she's incognito, she's still queen. She's still the very essence of a queen, but she takes on also the form of a servant. So that is kind of my analogy here. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down. At some point, they all go back to Naboo. Sabe, really Padme, takes off the servant's dress or costume or pants and shirt and puts back on the royal gowns and, and all these beautiful clothing. She returns to just being queen. Friends, that isn't going to happen with Jesus Christ. He will always and forever be fully man, the very essence, excuse me, fully God, the very essence God, Morphe. And at the same time, he will always be the very essence man. He will never take it off. God is eternal. Our souls are eternal. Thankfully, the God-man will be forever the God-man. And there will never be a time when he takes it off because when he does, God's wrath was back upon us. Do you see? What an act of humility. When he's incarnated, yes, 
he takes on this additional form. And yes, he goes back to heaven. And, and yes, he's still God. And yet, there he is, the God-man. And he's always there, the God-man, in our place for us, taking the sacrifice and now ruling in all glory. We have four examples now. We have Christ and the incredible humility and setting aside for all eternity some prerogatives in order to die on the cross as a sacrifice for us. We, we have the example of Timothy as he, as he serves Paul in the churches. And we have Epaphroditus and, and the things that he, he gives up in order to go to, to, to help and to serve Paul. And then, of course, Paul um, Paul had done incredible things, and he lists those things out, all the incredible things he does. And he said, and like he's reading you his resume. And he says, you know, it's all rubbish. It's dirty claws. And now be, we're all politically correct, so they never actually put in the direct English translation of what those dirty rags are that he now considers all of his, his accomplishments before getting saved. But it's the idea these are rags that are so dirty that they can never ever be used again and just simply must be destroyed and he's saying all of that I don't take advantage of that and 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 humility I serve like in humility I'm here serving you I'm here in prison because of what I did to serve you and the gospel message all right the reason this was written on its face is a thank you letter um, and to pro- provide some more information. Now, there's no, uh, there's no the- theological issue here like in the Galatian churches. There's, there's no you know, deep moral issues like in the church in Corinth. These people got their theology down, but there is a problem. And everything that Paul has said is pointing to these next two verses I'm going to read. It is, again, one of the most tactful letters ever written. Here it is, Philippians. And I'm going to read um, 2 through 9 of chapter 4. I plead with the Odia. I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Let me go on and read four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, Paul has written a lot of this letter because of Iodia and Syntyche. These are obviously two women who were there when the church was being founded, they were right there working right there next to Paul and, and all the other saints and, and stood up, you know, to the persecution. You know, they both loved the Lord, 
but they're not getting along. Now, how does Paul know this? Well, Epaphroditus brought the money, and no doubt he spent months there with Paul, you know, including being sick and almost dying, and they had a lot of time to talk. So, Epaphroditus, what's going on with church? Yada, yada, yada. And then there's the Odean Syntyche. Obviously, the disagreement between these two women got to the point that it was affecting the church. How do we describe it? It's sort of like, like a bad odor. And you think it's just between the two of you, but it never is. Friends, I, and I've shared before, and I, I won't go into it now, other than to say I have been hurt the most in church by brothers and sisters in Christ. Letting that go is, is hard. Don't know who started it. It doesn't matter. These two women, for whatever reason, whoever started it, the other kept it going, and now it's just sort of, and it, it affects the whole church. Okay, there, there's no doctrinal problems. There's no gross morality. It's just two people. Now, that great philosopher, Rodney King, Rodney King, as you remember, decades ago was, was uh, terribly beaten up by uh, some L.A. cops. It was all over the, the TV, and that started the L.A. riots, and it was just a horrible thing. Years later, uh, Rodney King had moved to Fontana by that time, and somebody was interviewing him. And he was not a man of many words, but the question had to do with race. And Rodney King just was like, hey— can't we all just get along? And he was referring to race. Can't we all just get along? Well, in many ways, this is the, uh, the Rodney King moment. Paul is saying, you've got to get along. Now, the next verse, by the way, this letter would have been written, excuse me, read in public. He does it very tactfully. He doesn't start out yelling at these women. He builds up to it. He just says one sentence to them, and now the next sentence. Yes, and I ask you. Now, in the Greek, it's the word syzikos. People have done all kinds of research. There is no Greek name syzikos. The underlying translation of syzikos is yoke fellow, or my true companion. Now, for a yoke fellow, think of two oxen pulling a yoke. They're doing it together. And one oxen says to the other oxen, right? Paul is not speaking probably to a person. By saying, my yoke fellow, he, he really is inviting the whole congregation they're all true companions. They're all yoke fellows. So he's asking, would you help these women since they have contended at my side? Help them to be of the same mind. Help them to just get along. Friends, search your own hearts and minds. Um, maybe you're Iodia or Syntyche, or, or maybe you're Syzygus, just, just somebody in the church. We are being called to get along and to try to help those who aren't. Obviously, if you're on the outside of this, this relationship that's not working out, you, you should pray. If you're somebody inside it, you need to pray too. Lord, change my heart.
because it really does affect the whole church. Obviously, it affected Epaphroditus to the point that he had to tell Paul about it. And then Paul goes on to say, just don't be anxious. Just by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He closes with saying, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Not only should we pray, but let us fill our minds with what is good and noble and right, so we don't have time to think about the slights that we got from Eodia or how she always wants to have her own way. You get the idea. If you put these noble, good, pure, admirable thoughts and you keep them in your mind, you concentrate on them, you will not have time for these other things. And as I say this, (laughs) I think of this dear lady at my first church. And um, she always had a positive attitude, always smiling, always wanting to pray. And um, I got to know her and her husband very well. And she said to me one day, she said, yeah, I know people think, um, you know, I don't see things or that I'm a ditz uh, because, you know, I always, you know, I'm always smiling and, and wanting to pray for people. She says, but that's not true. I do see the hurtful things. I do see what's going on. And I choose not to dwell on it. I choose to think only of the good thoughts. The letter to the Philippians is um, so delicately written, so tactfully written. And yet, I, I think by the time you get to the end, you get the punchline about Iodia and Syntyche, I think everybody can agree, oh, let's hope Iodia and Syntyche heard this and they got along after that. Um, isn't that so fascinating? <laughs> Paul is writing this letter to say thank you. He's writing this letter to give examples of how we should be with each other in the church. And then he gives this incredible uh, 1 through 11 in chapter 2, the, the emptying. God the Son is and always will be God the Son, the very essence, the morphe, the form God. He took on the very form of man, except that he's sinless. And he will be forever both God-man who intercedes for us with God the Father and was obedient unto death, not because he was a sinner, but death to die in our place so that we could be right with God the Father. A beautiful letter Incredible information to confirm to us uh, the nature and the work of Jesus Christ. Friends, let's pray now. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this 
chapter. I, I thank you for just all the things that have been shown in this book and how I can relate in my early church life. Father, help me to keep those things that are pure in my mind and not to dwell on things that would make me get upset about someone else in the faith. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your beautiful word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, uh, again, um, this is Andrew from Colorado Springs. Uh, please go on our website. You can go in to contact us. Uh, let, let the station know how this podcast is going. G- give us some feedback. Certainly the management would like to know. I would like to know. The trustees uh, of this ministry would like to know. Um, and you can just email us directly. You can go to the email address station like radio station, station at ktlfradio.org and just email and say, hey, this is what's going on. Here's my thoughts and, uh, you know, just send us anything that would help us to make this a better program. Uh, And also help us to think about other content to put on the website. All right, friends, thank you, and we will see you next time. 